episode 66 of the black and fashion podcast thank you guys so much for joining me today i just want to make sure i acknowledge my sponsors for the episode make sure you uh, guys shop miata the brand it is accessories handcrafted in africa with amazing quality details make sure you use promo code bnf15 for an additional discount off so today I am joined by James Baldwin. James right. Sanders. James Sanders Baldwin. Yes, James Sanders, no Baldwin. No Baldwin. <laughs> James Sanders. Yes. Now, if you just want to go and talk to me a little bit about where you're from. Okay. The fuel of events to even get you started, like in somewhat of like a fashion career and fashion things. I know you do a lot of stuff. We're gonna (laughs) gonna unpack them all individually. But if you just wanna just tell me a little bit about where you're from, um, where you grew up, your education, and what kind of led you on your journey. Absolutely. Okay, Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Of course. I do not take it lightly, Um, especially in the midst of this crazy pandemic, thank you so much for your time. Um, Let's see. Okay, so I was born in Atlantic City. Um, I'm from Philadelphia. And uh, let's see. Okay, so education-wise, I have a bachelor's in uh, journalism from Rowan University. And I have a master's uh, degree, Master of Arts in English from St. Joseph's University, also in Philadelphia. Nice. Um, in terms of my career, I started in 2007, and um, I come from a journalism background, so a lot of what I started doing was writing fashion, and that was mm-hmm. primarily for local newspapers, blogs, and um, then in 2007, I began working at the Huffington Post. And no one knew um, how big it was going to be. The company was still solely owned at that time by Ariana Huffington, the founder. And uh, then a year later in 2008, I uh, began covering politics, which was great for me because I got to cover all things state of Pennsylvania, Obama campaign. And then quite naturally he won and it just kind of blew up from there. Um, As the Huffington Post got bigger and bigger, other publications uh, wanted me and I began to write uh, just solely on fashion. Uh, Vogue magazine came in 2000 and I want to say 12. It might be 2011. Mm -hmm. Um, That's Vogue Italy specifically. And for them, I write and style. Um, After Vogue came Glamour, GQ, um, a small stint at Ebony magazine, (sighs) let's see, Uh, Revolt TV. Yeah, I feel like I need to, (laughs) I need to like, do your bio over. <laughs> <laughs> but the Baldwin thing, it's funny, the Baldwin thing came um, actually like at the start of this pandemic. Okay. Um, it is a collaboration between myself and medium.com. Um, they brought me on to create uh, my own publication. Nice. Um, and so Baldwin obviously is named after the famous African-American writer, James James Baldwin. Baldwin. 
and we are a publication, a small staff of 24 writers I'm managing, editors, videographers, publicists, all of the above. Mm -hmm. It's 24 of them. And uh, we cover black issues, and we are a staff of African-American and black and island uh, people. Mm -hmm. And so that's essentially the con the concept of that. I call it a social justice um, publication geared towards black tastemakers. Gotcha. Yes. So do you want to kind of break down some of these articles um, that you've discussed? My, the one that I'm um, most interested in is uh, Fashion's Negro's Problem. Yes. Um, so let's see. During Juneteenth, I um, I wrote a story. It, it was more so of an op-ed. Uh, of course, it was called Fashion's Negro Problem. And in the story, I'm addressing um, the issues that... I've experienced that a lot of black creatives in the fashion industry have experienced. And it came off of the heels of the public apology that Anna Wintour issued. Um, also the memoir, uh, I think it maybe his is his third memoir, Andre Leontali, uh, I believe it was called in the chiffon trenches yes mm -hmm. and so i reference um both of those things along with obviously black lives matter at length in the story the reason why though um, i was motivated to write the op-ed came largely because of the lack of confidence i'm going to say mm -hmm. and then also the lack of history that our people have where fashion is concerned it's so much deeper than you know, oh, well, this trend started in the hood, which is absolutely true. Right. But your history in, in fashion and your contribution, our contributions in fashion extend far beyond that, right. even far beyond slavery, which a lot of times is the narrative that, you know, when your history started with slavery and you come from slaves. But where fashion is concerned, specifically, we were the original pioneers. And it's proven through history right I feel that I like that <laughs> okay so what would you say is one of the biggest struggles you feel like um, black creatives are facing right now in the industry um, a lot of it has to do with uh, finding a seat at the table okay um, and I think that in being so pressed and obsessed with that that's really where we mess up so for instance, um, a lot of times when you're the only black person in the room and you're putting together a shoot or even you're at an editorial meeting and you're brainstorming about what stories could possibly be displayed in that issue or what have you, it's always hard to get your perspective um, brought across. But the thing is, the gag is that... Oftentimes, people are interested in the urban, which is very different, perspective. Gotcha. And so you'll be the only black person in the room being told what the urban and black experience is. Um, so I would say that's probably the biggest problem is the misappropriation and the lack of inclusivity. Gotcha. Would you, do you feel like we need validation? Like Absolutely somebody, not. Yeah. But see, that's the problem, mm -hmm. is the fact that we think we need validation. Mm -hmm. And that's what Fashion's Negro Problem 
is about. It's about the fact that if if we really knew as a whole what we've done, mm -hmm. what we've accomplished, and why fashion even exists, we wouldn't feel like we need that validation. I call it PTSD, post-traumatic slave disorder. Right. <laughs> where you feel like you have to you know, you need this validation or being in the room and feeling like you can't, you know, express your opinions because you don't want to make Susie or Charles feel uncomfortable. You know what I mean? And a lot of that has to do with the, you know, uh, culture. Gotcha. I'm hearing it too. Okay, I'm like, I'm picking up something else. Okay, <laughs> all right. So if you... I don't know how much, how well you are versed on different, I guess, like educational, fashion education programs. Say it again. Fashion education programs. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Do you feel like they're getting enough of the history in these schools or do you feel like it's one-sided? Oh, it's absolutely one-sided. Mm -hmm. It's never, it's never been, um inclusive at all, which mm -hmm. also is a big problem. So, you know, I reference the Moors a lot because to me, they are the original um, arbiters of style. You know what I mean? Um, so if you look at about 700 years after the crucifixion of Christ, um, there was a Islamic sect in North Africa. They were the Moors. Mm -hmm. um, the name was given to them by the Europeans, which means people of black skin or people with melanin. And they came to Europe, to Paris, to France, to different parts of that continent and taught them seasonal dressing and, you know, um, leather shoes and indoor plumbing and even, uh, you know, um, grooming and invented forks and knives and plates. And prior to that, Europe was in the Stone Ages. Gotcha. And um, I believe a lot of that, you know, goes unnoticed in fashion because we taught the Europeans seasonal dressing. So right now we're in the midst of, I want to say still London Fashion Week, if Milan has not started yet. Mm -hmm. And so if that's the case, right now we're in spring, summer. Then we'll have fall, winter, and February. Those, the concept of seasonal dressing was started by the North African Moors. Right. So there would be no Fashion Week. There would be no, like if not for, uh, like, you're from that lineage. These are your ancestors. Mm -hmm. And so I think if more of us knew that even, and, and that's just one example, but if we even knew that, we'd be able to walk into a room or decide not to. But if we did walk into the room, it wouldn't. we wouldn't have that cloud over us of, well, I hope this one notices, or I hope I, you know, don't step on anybody anybody's shoes like, you are the original pioneers. Right. So if you know how you got here, you're not going to feel like you, feel more confident. you need to get somebody else's permission to right. stay here. Absolute facts. I'm over here sitting around like how, wondering, like, how can we get this education into these schools? <laughs> <laughs> I do feel that there is a lot of education that is not being taught in fashion school. 
Um, and at first, I thought it was more of a technical thing. Like, they're not even going to be teaching these people how to survive in the business. They're just teaching them how to draw very pretty. But now I'm noticing there. And I always knew that there was a, a history problem. Like, it was not to say inspired to. Because often, a lot of people always ask me, like, well, you know, when you were in college, who did you look up to? And I was just like. Right. Right. Hoping that there was a black one. I'm like, I would say Tracy Reese. He's like, well, what about someone deep? I'm like, anybody that deep? Like, besides, like, Willie Smith and Tracy Reese and, like, Patrick Kelly. I'm like, it wasn't that many people to look up to. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, I don't really got that many. Like, I got right. Ann Lowe, the ones, like, some of the greats and stuff. But right. so I didn't way. have nothing to inspire to. And I think that um, there are several, just, like, just from, you know, working in this business like that. And I been mentor and stuff like that. I have a non-for-profit just hearing how they don't don't feel confident in their programs and their, their educational environments right. and stuff because of like either they're not getting what they need or they don't have the history behind it. And I'm just like, so how the hell we don't get this in the schools? Right. I'm over here thinking of a master plan. I'm like, how? Like, cause I, I mean, granted, I started my own like educational thing. So I teach classes and stuff like that. But I just feel like it's so many people out there that don't have it. Um, and that's missing it. And I would want to find a way to like fill that like void in all honesty. Absolutely. Yeah. I actually, it's funny that you said that nice. because I collaborated or will be collaborating with um, one of your past guests, Janet Inga. Yeah, yeah. From Doe Magazine. Yeah, yeah we, nice. we're collaborating um, on a workshop that we are um, putting together uh, nice. for black fashion uh People or I people think she wanting talked to, to break me about into that. The, I think she told me about that because we were talking about that too, and I'm just like, they need to understand the technical side and the product exactly. and the business side of it. But, but even they need more the importantly, the rules and also the coding yeah. for us, right. which is so different. Mm-hmm. There's never been a course, a workshop, um, even with these mentors. A lot of them don't tell you that what what you must understand most importantly, as a black creative in the industry or as an aspiring black creator wanting to get into the industry Mm -hmm. is that the same rules do not apply. So you must know how to maneuver and work with who you are and what you are in order to leverage that to get to where you need to get to. That has not been taught. So that's what she and I are working on putting together. That's really dope. Mm -hmm. I want to be a part of that too. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell me about a time, you know, just maybe like in your career, I always say, um, it's a, I have a segment called It's a Success, uh-huh. It's a Disaster. Ooh, so is any time in your career where you felt like you learned a lot and you were able to take like those practices from that situation and like embed it into yourself and maybe your team as you move forward? Like, have you ever had any situation like oh, that? Oh, so many. Let's <laughs> see. Um, but the one that comes to mind has to do with um, when I began styling um, one of the cast members from Scandal on ABC. And the biggest lesson that I learned from that is um, negotiation, reading your contract (laughs) Mm -hmm. thoroughly, um and fighting and advocating for yourself because everybody else is going to fight and advocate for themselves mm-hmm. and so essentially what happened was um i was styling uh guillermo diaz who played his character was huck and he was uh olivia pope's 
right-hand man, so to speak. And uh, let's see, I styled him for everything outside of the show. So uh, Late Night with Jimmy Kimmel, Conan O'Brien. I even, I did him for The View, uh, the NAACP Image Awards, the Emmy Awards, uh, LA Today, People Magazine, all, any any press that you can think of um, during the last two seasons of the show, I was responsible for. Okay. And I was pulling from all kinds of designers because Scandal was, at that point, the number one show on TV. And he gotcha. was such a popular character. The problem with that was, though, um, and I feel more comfortable speaking about it now uh, than before, but the number one problem for me had to do with payment, and that had nothing to do with him personally because, obviously, he had a team. Right. What was happening was um, I was essentially being manipulated. I was being given the grooming budget rather than the wardrobe budget. Mm. Um, I don't know for a fact, but I believe someone, I should say, was having me invoice for grooming. Meanwhile, there was a wardrobe budget that was available for the stylist. So they were pocketing the wardrobe money. Mm. Um, How I found that out was I called ABC Disney to find out where my check was. Um, I was only getting paid some outrageous amount. $250, which is nothing, right? Well. (laughs) Exactly. But there are a couple of things with this that the reason why I'm even saying these things and being so specific. But I called ABC Disney um, to figure out where my money was because it had been over 30 days. In the contract, it said that they had, uh, they could pay me over what was called net 60, net 90. That's when I figured out what that meant. Which oh, meant 60 that days or 90 days. days or 90, 90 days to get your check mm. for something that you may have styled him for two months ago already. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's from when you send your invoice. It's net 60 or net 90. Exactly. Wow. And I was sending my invoices to his manager. His manager was sending the invoices to ABC Disney, if she sent them, when she sent them, I should say. Here's what I um, learned from that, most importantly. If people in this industry see that you are trying to break in or that you're so excited and happy about it that you'll just do anything, people will take advantage of that. At that point, I had already styled several other celebrities and had done TV and film and the Grammys and had looks on like over 19 best dress lists. I had had the credits, Mm -hmm. which is how I got the job. And, but at that point as a stylist and as a creative, my mentality was different. I did not know my worth and that was taken advantage of. Um, Now, when I negotiate things, it's always, I need my deposit up front. You will pay for shipping. You will pay for handling. Facts. You know, um, right. And I don't do net anything. (laughs) Net, when I send you this invoice, net that money over. Right. Period. (laughs) Net that money over. (laughs) Period. Period. Or you just, you know, you'll stay the same because you won't be styled by James. Facts. I hear that. So, yeah. That's what's up. 
Yeah, it's, it's a shame that people do that, but it's like I've heard a lot of like horror stories. Um, Absolutely. And I'm just like, wow. And it's and it's crazy. Usually, all the horror stories is about them contracts, mm-hmm. like not, not either not charging enough or right. like not looking at the fine print and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So we stress that more than anything. Make sure you got your business affairs in order. Please, please <laughs> because if y'all hear, every time I've had this segment is always about money and contracts. <laughs> so we know that money and contracts is key. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about um, just like how you feel about styling education wise. Do you feel like it's best for someone to maybe go to school and understand the business side of maybe fashion and maybe pick up a couple of technical skills? Or do you feel like it's OK just to go full fledged into the industry and make those connections? Cause I know I always some, sometimes I have had two different perspectives and stylists. It's either what you know will get you faster or it's more about who you know will get you in. But is there a rush? Mm. So, like, how do you feel? Well, um, I want to say fortunately Mm -hmm. and then also unfortunately, I got into the industry not assisting another stylist. I've never assisted a stylist. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do suggest that um, you do assist. Having that degree, and I believe it's fashion merchandising, FIT, has a certificate program um, in styling, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, Who's that other young lady? She got a school now. Right. Misa Hilton. Oh, right, right. She got and a styling The Misa now. Hilton Academy, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but see, now, that's different than going to college and getting a full degree. Right. You know what I mean? Because um, the gems that Misa Hilton is going to drop have to do with um, on-the-job stuff. Right. And as a stylist who's still working, she's going. her curriculum is going to be extremely targeted. Gotcha. Um, but you're not going to take that certificate to, like, Mel Ottenberg and say, here's my certificate. I have no experience, but hire me. You'll still need to, I feel like, assist. Right. Um, if you want these, you know, jobs and positions with me, that wasn't the case. Um, but I had had that... Uh, I had already had like credits behind my name, gotcha. um, just from the writing aspect of it. So that's how you were able to kind of Break step in and more transition. because you already had the journalism thing mm-hmm. on lock, and then you kind of introduced the styling part. Right, and it's gotcha. weird because I started styling celebrities first, and then I started styling editorials for magazines, um, and then commercial work, obviously. Um, but I'll say that. I do think you should assist. I don't think college is necessary, but I do think there's a place for programs like the Mesa Hilton Academy, which is to me different than college. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to break in, but I will say you should always have a backup plan anyway. So if you are going to college and you want to work in fashion, your degree should be in something else. Right. Like my degree is in journalism. My master's is in English. I'm qualified to teach at a college if I wanted to. So, you know, and and now with the pandemic, it shows you that you must be able to pivot and pivot comfortably Mm -hmm. because you may not always be able to do photo shoots. Things have started back up now, but in March and April, nobody was doing anything. The Met Gala got canceled. You know, Fashion Week in New York was like a ghost town a week ago, two weeks ago. (laughs) It didn't happen. Right. It didn't really happen. So, you know, we must 
know how to pivot. And as black creatives specifically, that's most important. I know how to pivot. Mm-hmm. You got that right. Um, I would say I probably did the same thing, like not design, more so went into like a consulting role and mm-hmm. I like pivoted back into design, like with creating things just because I didn't want to lose my skill set, but I wasn't completely, I guess, I didn't have it all together as a designer. I had it all together on the back end. Like I can pattern make, I can sew, I can help other people that have their ideas and I can help you mm-hmm. refine your ideas. Can't do it for my damn self right now, but mm-hmm. that's how I pivoted into the consulting business mm-hmm. by just like taking a step back, being like, let me go over here and do this first. Then I can always pivot back into design if need be. I will I say did. this though, um, with young stylists, the biggest problem is So I do believe education, like I said, has its place. But once again, you're not going to necessarily need to go to college. But a background in fashion history, Mm -hmm. a background in garment construction is essential. Because a lot of these younger stylists, and I'm 33, Mm -hmm. um, so that's somewhat still young. Thank God. You're still young. Right. (laughs) By his grace. But um, a lot of these young stylists don't even know how to do simple handwork like hand, yeah. needle and thread yeah like and they don't understand that this textile you can't mix with this textile because it will snag mm-hmm. like and so on the red carpet if it's the oscars and you're you have someone in an oscar de Lorenza and the zipper pops then what do you do like these young stylists are so are so used to Fashion Nova and putting together sets on Polyvore or putting together cute outfits for themselves and then saying that they're a stylist. But a lot of the practical <laughs> end, seriously, but a lot of the practical end, I'm, I don't want to offend anybody that's listening, but the truth is the light. Um, truth is the light. Right. But what are you going to do when that zipper pops or what are you going to do when you need to hem something and the Oscar de Laurenta Taylor who came and did the initial fitting is five hours away and she has to be on a red carpet in 30 minutes. Right. Then what? Then what you you know what do? I mean? They don't understand double-sided tape. They don't understand, okay, well, this whole collection was a reference to Cleopatra Jones or a mahogany mm-hmm. or on the other side, a cat on a hot tin roof. You must have a background in order to know um, these things and reference them so that when you're in situations like the one I'm in right now, I can talk about those things right. comfortably. So fashion background, fashion history, and then practical garment construction. You don't have to be a couturier, but you should at least be able to pin correctly. You should at least be able to do some simple hand sewing, yeah. stitching, and you must understand, you know, uh, garment applications. Right. Okay, I feel that. <laughs> no, I'm with you because, like, I've you know I've had different conversations like with people that you know call themselves stylists, and I always was like, well, you know, what exactly do you do, or who do you style, or how, right. be, or or is stylist, wardrobe stylist, image consultant, um, personal shopper. I was oh, just like, God. okay. Yeah, because like, it's like a whole bunch of them. One, I'm like, okay, well, first of all, what's the difference between them? Second off, um, 
what are you charging? That's usually like what I ask people. And I'm just like, when mm-hmm. it comes to styling, because and I had one person tell me they feel like, you know, styling is a luxury. Like, I'm not working with your budget either. You can afford this or you don't. Because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I heard, I forgot who it was, but it's like, it's a, ha- having styling mm-hmm. services is a luxury. The whole, I want a stylist, but I gotta work on the budget, it's just like, what is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if you have a, you know, for, and I'll just talk about like working with individuals, Absolutely. not necessarily like, a, um, you know, for TV and stuff like that, video, they might mm-hmm. have a budget, but working with individuals, um, do you find it challenging to maintain or keep a clientele? Or it does, it really just have to be a celebrity clientele that can support that? Um, I will work with a budget as long as it's reasonable. Okay. Um, and I will, and I will work with pretty much anyone. Um, it really depends. So, personal shopping is not styling. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. you're literally just figuring out what their aesthetic is, and then sizing, and you're going to the store with their credit card and uh, purchasing items and what they don't like you return. That's literally it. Um, So I consider that to be a little something different. Mm -hmm. I will do that kind of work. I've done that work earlier on in my career. Now I find that people who are interested in that kind of work for me don't approach me, and I think that they don't because of my resume and so they maybe are intimidated by that mm-hmm. but I'll absolutely work with uh pretty much anyone. I don't I don't I guess I haven't had enough fashion trauma yet to say <laughs> that's it. I'm done. But after that scandal thing for a couple of months, I said, you know what? Forget this. I ain't got time like, for it. I ain't it. got time for it. I'm about <laughs> to, you know, hop on the red eye to LA and start to drag a few people. <laughs> trying to stay saved <laughs> sometimes and, yeah. i mean sometimes you might have to drag someone not, even, right on the, not even saying drag someone but just like a come to jesus like mm-hmm. come on like especially when you're working with like other black creators black people in different mm-hmm. positions of power and stuff like that but and also another reason because you are black and you want to stay in your ground exactly so both on both you sides must. you know because you mm-hmm. want to provide feedback to your other black creators that you may be working with, but they might be fucking up. Mm-hmm. But they also because you're not also you're not gonna play me and think that I don't know nothing about business when I'm about to Period. come full throttle on your ass. So, oh, right. I get it. I so, think a lot of people are so scared of the, oh, you're being so aggressive. I let that go. Yeah. I let that go. Yeah. It's going with the wind. Yeah, I get that, and I think I get that often. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, the aggressive black woman. Oh, yeah. I get it. I got sure. it when I was an employee. I, mm-hmm. I still get it as an entrepreneur. Yes. I still get it from employees that don't know how to take constructive criticism. And those are the ones that got to go. Bye. Period. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've gotten it, and I'm just like, I'm not aggressive, but I am assertive, and I am a business owner, and you are going to respect me and my business. So, And I talk with a lot of diction in my voice, and but some people would just automatically jump to the conclusion like, oh, you don't have to be so hostile. No, this is the way I speak. I speak to everyone like this. Let's just be clear. Okay. Exactly. Like, <laughs> um, but I don't change up my tone for anyone. Like, Nor should you. This is the way I speak to my mother, my grandmother, my sister, my employee. Like, this is my, my tone. My choice of words may be different depending on who I'm talking to, but my tone is always the same. And it's going to stay like this. There you go. So if you are a 
I don't say my mother always say too, if you are offended by it, that sounds like a personal problem to me. Okay. You better <laughs> pray about it. You better pray. So tell me about your it was your mo, your textile. Oh yeah. So just talk so about that. I, right. I bought you a copy. <laughs> oh you did? Yes, I and I autographed it too. Thank you. <laughs> For my black little Sharpie. You Thank go, girl. you. You are welcome. So, um I put together a few months ago a little mini textbook um it's called the mode book and it has a lot of what we've been discussing um <laughs> it has a little bit of what we've been discussing just like how to break into the industry i talk about print digital queries um now this project specifically is geared towards people who want to break in as fashion journalists Gotcha. Or people who are already fashion journalists. Like, I go into how to pitch editors when you've not published anything. Mm -hmm. And then I go into, well, you've published all these things. Here's how to get brand collaborations. Here's how to leverage your freelance business to become a brand yourself. And then at the very back of the book, I even oh, include... Oh, we going to talk, honey, because I'm writing a book right now. Writer's guidelines. I love it. Come on. Yes. Um, and the whole layout, graphic design, everything was done by me. Um, I even include little ads for uh, some of the work that I do. And all the photos for those ads were styled by James. Oh. I love. <laughs> this is dope. Yeah. I'll definitely be reading on this. Yes. Yeah, like I'm writing. Out. I was supposed to, the book actually was supposed to come out this month. Okay. But, uh, I've been having writers because it's. I mean, it's a. It's about me. So it's like a life story. It's called a life design. Oh. Uh, yeah. I love the title. Yeah. Um, That's it's called, cute. And it's black and fashion. It's like the subtitle: One Woman's Journey to Living Her Most Expressive Life. So I've done the book cover to back. I've gotten through like seven chapters, but then there's certain chapters that I'm like, am I being too invasive? Am I being too much into no. my life? See, and that's some what I mean. We like have to stop people. that. Like, yeah, you're I'm like, because I got a lot of stuff. Because I was just like, oh, well, just at this time I was laid off and then I was doing this. I was just like, oh, it's a lot. Then I like, I'll delete and then I'll go back and I'm like, no, people can relate. So yes. I'm just back and forth in my head about some of the chapters and then some of those ones where you know, I wasn't sewing because I was lost in this relationship mm. and stuff like that. So it's just like a lot that has happened over the course of these years. And some of them are more recent, especially like with the, like me, I just opened up my studio. I just like, yes. I, we just had our studio launch party on Sunday. So Ooh, I just, in the I beginning of this year, I came in to work and was laid off and it was me in January mm. and one other person. And now I got a team of 14. Like, and See you got a I mean? space. And it's like, it's like a lot has happened. So mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff, from before that I felt like was hurt. It's like, I've let it go. And it's mm -hmm. like, but you still write about it? And then when you gotta write about it, you gotta come up with those, I remember those times and it's like, it makes me sad. Then I'm just like, I'm such in a good place. I don't wanna write about that anymore. Write about it anyway. anyway. You know, and I guess it's Push just through it. my heart. And yeah. each of those experiences um, were necessary because of what you've been able to achieve and accomplish. Right. You know what I mean? So I call those situations your necessaries mm -hmm. because they have to happen in order to bring you to where you are today. And you mm -hmm. may not even be yet fully where you want to be, but you're not where you used to be. And people need to read that and hear that. Years ago, I had actually um, had another book 
that I was putting together. I had had some interest from a publisher and um, I was in my master's program mm -hmm. and my mentor, my professor, she was a, a New York Times uh, bestseller and uh, she's still writing books and they do very, very well. And she, uh, the publisher and she as well, um, suggested that I get a literary agent. Mm -hmm. And so I sent some feelers out and mentioned that, you know, I had interest from a publisher. Well, all of the top New York agents uh, began courting me. Mm -hmm. But I ended up going with uh, my professor's literary agent, which was a huge mistake because the book was geared towards um, black people, of course, and fashion, of course. And um, she wanted to turn it into kind of a, this is about the black experience, but it's for everybody in this is, we want everybody to read it and we want everybody to be able to relate. And I think that when you begin to think about, well, I might not want to write this because this may be like, they might not like it. You know, that's what she, I allowed her to do to me. And the book didn't go anywhere. She went into rehab, which oh, I found boy. out after the fact, and the book project died. And I promised myself that I was never going to do that again. So I say that to encourage you to let you know, everything, even the evasive stuff, is important. Mm -hmm. People need to read it. People need to see it. Because somebody somewhere that looks like you can relate, and in a big way. Right. You're absolutely Don't leave it out. Don't leave it out. <laughs> I won't leave it out. Yes. Okay. So this is like our last segment. It's called It's a Muse. <laughs> Okay. So if you just want to tell about anything that has inspired you, whether it be a book, a piece of architecture, um, hmm. an exhibit, anything that you know that you or you utilize could be a crystal, a mantra, anything that you utilize that keeps you like inspired and that you would want to share with someone else. I would I would say um I would say that the thing that inspires me the most is probably my faith and then also my grandmothers mm -hmm. who are both deceased. Mm -hmm. um, their style impacted me uh, in a large way, even when I was younger. That was my fashion pedigree because I didn't have aunts or uncles who sat on the board of Sinai and could get me in to an internship at Marc Jacobs or what have you. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was going to church every Sunday, seeing the church hats, seeing the sequins and even the deacons and like how their suits were tailored and the shoes always matched and because it was the <laughs> 90s shot in the 80s. Right. And um, the hats, the fedoras, the accessories and how garments were taken care of and how when things didn't fit, you made them fit with your sewing machine or your hands. Okay. Um, so that background has really inspired me to um, keep pushing and to always press towards the mark. Gotcha. Um, that's been my biggest inspiration is just kind of that background and using it to leverage up and level up. I like that. <laughs> Funny thing is, my um, 
my grandmothers are uh their names is my brand it's my middle name and it's both both my grandmothers are well one is deceased one is alive okay one taught me how to sew and help me pay for school um the other one both of them real fast but so my brand name is collier batine i have one grandmother named verda another one named ernestine so oh, batine okay. is them so my all my handbags my my jumpsuits my jackets they all it's all our brands and homage to both my grandmothers i see what i mean yeah. like those grandmothers, Those grannies, grannies, they always come through okay. in the clutch. Always. <laughs> always. Well, thank you so much, James, for joining me. If you just want to throw out, like, all your social media so they know, like, where to find you, where to follow you. You want to do some book promo where they can purchase. Okay. Let them know. <laughs> all right. So on Instagram and Twitter, I am James R. Sanders, all one word. Sanders spelled S-A-N-D-E-R-S. On YouTube, on youtube.com forward slash styled by James. And you can visit my website for literally everything else. And that website is www.jamesrsanders.com. Perfect. I'll also make sure that all of this information is in the show notes as well. As I always say, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank Stay you. black. Peace yes. out. All right. <laughs> say yes. <laughs>